From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast-growing startups work with me because they want to become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. And this podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Ladies and gentlemen, making her way to the microphone, hailing from and residing in Austin, Texas, she is the co-founder and CEO of StoryFit. Please welcome Monica Landers. Thank you. Thank you. Best intro ever. <laughs> she is Monica Landers, as I said, co-founder and CEO of StoryFit. What is StoryFit? Where they are helping storytellers, specifically television and movie studios, get the most out of the stories they are trying to deliver through their sh- through their TV shows, through their movies, by leveraging artificial intelligence so they can actually understand what their audience is going to want before they take it to a production run. So they can actually, with StoryFit, they're able to actually like essentially use AI to understand, is this script going to perform well or not? And I'm so excited to talk to Monica today. Um, StoryFit is working with premier top, top, top TV and movie studios around the world. They are on the come up and they've got a very, very unique challenge. And that's, I'm really excited to talk to Monica today. they're, They're addressing a very unique challenge. And that is the challenge of introducing new technology to a market. Monica, once again, welcome. Let our listeners know why is this on your mind and why is this important to you? Well, you know, your intro was so spot on because we, we're, we're storytellers. We have a real love of stories, um, but we also are applying AI to the most human thing that we do, which is telling stories, right? Stories are how we learn, how we connect, mm-hmm. um, how we It's the oldest form of, of communication. It is yeah. like the most, it's like the core of, of, of our humanity, really. And so what we're doing, there's, there's a business sense, but there's also this huge sense that we feel responsibility that we're applying AI to something that's very human. And so we feel like it's really important how we handle that. So that's a real element um, that, that shows up in sales as well. So we have a, a couple things that we pay a lot of attention to is one, we're bringing in a new technology, but also we're touching something that is so core and, and, and people have such emotional ties to. So it's important that it's handled properly. Now we're going to dive a whole lot more into that. Before we do, let's learn a little bit more about you, the person. And what I'm really curious to know is, you know, you got your, your start in your career as a television producer with ABC news. Did you always know you wanted to work in TV? How, 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 like, what was your journey there? And like, when you were young saying what I want to be when I grow up is, was, was it working in TV? 
Oh, yes, it was. In third grade, you know, when they, they bring adults to come speak to the class and, and the, the only, you know, in the several years that they do that, the only woman that ever came was an on-air television um, uh, reporter. And I remember listening to her and I absolutely decided then that that's what I wanted to do because I heard her stories and I heard how she was at the heart of everything important that happened in the city. She was right in the middle of it. She was there to witness and then to tell the story in a way that was meaningful for the audience. And that I decided right then I was very clear on what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, I went to school and majored in, in journalism, interned all over the place, um, including at WFAA uh, in Dallas, which then helped me get an interview uh, to start then at ABC. So I, um, I absolutely knew what I wanted to do. But I quickly discovered that on air was not the thing for me. Um, I liked being in the background and putting it all together. So producer was just the perfect fit. And that's why I stayed uh, that entire time. I just, uh, I really wanted to be though on site, you know, if there were <laughs> guns and no electricity, that's where I wanted to be. So those are the mm. stories I really enjoyed covering. Um, and I, um, I feel really lucky that I got to do something that I, that I chose at such a young age. Can you say a little bit more about, uh, you said you learned, you realized quickly, you did not want to be in front of the camera. You want to be behind the camera. Um, what was like the, what was the inflection point there that made you realize that? I, I saw the correspondence and, and, and the extra layer and frankly, especially for the women, you know, when we're in a hurricane, they had to make sure they had lipstick on and get themselves mm. ready to tell the story on. And I felt like I could have more impact as well at a young age by being a producer, because I didn't have to prove that I looked the part, I just had to do the job. And so I felt very empowered in, in a, at a relatively young age um, to, to be in the middle of things, to, to do a good job, to, to impact the story how I could and, and how I suggested, you know, telling it or, or finding the interviews um, or, 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 you know, building the interviews, building and editing the pieces. Uh, and I couldn't have done that if I also had to prove myself um, as an as an on-air person at that time. And I mean, those jobs are way harder than they look, right? That's their, their whole right. intention is to make them look easy and they do. And, and I, I realized that would take me another decade and I wanted to start then. <laughs> That's powerful. Um, just I mean, pointing that out, because I'm sure a lot of people aren't even aware of that extra layer that a woman anchor would have to go through or, or a woman reporter would have to go through. And I think it's also very interesting to realize that at such a young age, right? You were fresh out of college at that point. And I think anyone's goal is just like prove my worth, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I pretended I was... Um... 28 for, you know, six or seven years. I said I was 28 till when I finally, I for somehow decided that was a reasonable age, respectable age to be. So when I finally turned 29, it was really hard <laughs> to you know, get used it's, to it's, it. It's so funny you say that because I feel like until, I never felt like I was comfortable with my, I always felt like I should have been older than I was until I got to the point of like 20, I think it was like 28 or 29. And I was like, now I actually feel, I finally feel like I'm the age I'm supposed to be. Yes, that was exactly <laughs> it. You know, exactly. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, you said before, like, you know, you had that career day, someone came in and you're like, that's what I want to do. And you ended up, you know, you didn't do that exact thing, but you worked in that field. It's actually, and I think this is so sad, but it's actually really rare that people, like the thing that they always wanted in life is what they actually end up doing. Now, I think there are the cases where like you, you do that and you realize you don't like it, which is fine. You get the life experience, but so many people like don't even try and they end up going down a path that they end up hating for 40 years. I'm just curious to know if you have any lesson or insight or advice on like 
carving your own path and, and sticking to it? Um, I think the core of it is, first of all, being as clear as you can in the moment, which is really hard, right? We're starting talking about third grade and then college years and high school years, I interned at a local station as well. And, and I think asking the questions of, of not just what you like, like not just the end goal, but what you like in the moment. Uh, and I really liked being at the point of action. I really liked being in the middle of things. And I could, I could define that. Um, I also really liked learning. And I liked the process of taking a learning in and then spitting it out, right? Now, that could have led me to teaching, right? There's, mm. a, there's other careers that could have uh, fallen into that I probably would have enjoyed too. But I think if, if you identify the pieces that you like, that can, that can help you continue. So that's why it was easy for me to then switch and be like, I don't want to be on air. And it was a, it was, that was an easy decision. I think I spent probably a year uh, uh, kind of thinking I was going to do that maybe my last year of college. But it was really easy for me to let go because it didn't have the core, the elements that I loved most. It would have kept me from the elements that I loved most. And mm -hmm. so I, I think that's important now. And even to this day, it, I mean, the things that are important to me are learning and then 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 figuring out what to execute and share it. Uh, you know, so so I get to still do that. I'm still doing what I chose to do it in third grade, basically. Um, and I and I think that's really important is to understand the, the core elements of what you love, not just the one thing, not the way it looks or the title that it has. Yeah. I'm a big advocate of that as well. Understand almost like what's the approach that you take to things? And like letting that kind of lead the way as opposed to what's the tangible output. Cause you, you'll find the right tangible output. If you focus on like, well, how, like, how do I perceive this thing? Like what, like what's my mental state while I'm doing this? How, like, how do I, how do I tackle this problem in a certain way? And you, mm -hmm. when you figure that out, which, you know, I'm very grateful to say, like, I figured that out several years ago and it's caused a lot of confusion with my family, but, <laughs> but I feel good about myself on a day-to-day -day basis. And yeah. I, I can't say I've like sacrificed, you know, like doing what I love at any point, which, which I feel good about. Yeah. And what does it, and what does it feel like while you're doing it? Those are really good insights of like, mm -hmm. uh, now that I'm doing what I thought I wanted to do, does it, does it feel like I thought it would feel, you know? Yeah. So good, good I also like to look at like, you know, just on that note, what, so it's almost like, you know, like, how does it feel while you're, while you're doing that thing? So that's kind of on like the idea of like the passion side of it, more or less, and, and identifying what you enjoy. I also like looking at the other side of it, which is what do you, when you see something like what really pisses you off when you're like, I cannot stand to see a person in that kind of a situation. And like, it gets it, your, it gets under your skin. I'm like, that is also like an indicator as well. If you're like the, the thing that like, pisses you off more than anything in this world. And I don't mean it has to be like a big, like charitable issue. I can mean like at a very, very micro level, when you see a person act a certain way about a thing you care about, like that can also tell you, you know, what the right path is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just, it's like reinforcing that emotions add to the, the clarity, right. Of, and, and I think sometimes it's not mentioned that you got to pay attention to those along the way too, you know, of course. Now let's dive into our primary topic today, which is introducing new technology to a market. And I think to appropriately understand your lens on that, let's learn a little bit more about story fit. And I gave a brief introduction up front. So I'm wondering if you could perhaps uh, first maybe talk about your transition into building a tech company and transitioning out of you know television and movie programming. Uh, and, and then 
give us a little bit more background on StoryFit? Yeah, it, it was really a very straight jump from TV to startup. I mean, there wasn't, there was just, it was, I just leapt and, um, and it worked out well for me. And my, my you know, my, you know, former colleagues at ABC, like I just, in retrospect, they've been like, oh yeah, you were always handled the more technical side of things. Like if we, you know, if you're out in a live shot and, you know, so I thought it was kind of interesting reflection of like, I didn't realize I did that, but I did jump. And then, you know, how it is in a startup, you're instantly doing all sorts of things you've never done before. So I learned real quickly. So ever since then, I've man, I've been managing dev teams now for lots and lots and lots of years. And so that, that was a real, uh, a, a, a welcome jump. And then I got to learn enough to put myself in a situation where ever since then I've managed always the team of devs and the team of creatives. And so I've forever been at that intersection of content and technology and trying to bridge that gap uh, and figuring out what, what, what kind of bridge do we need to build here to make this this particular goal within the content work. So I've really been in that intersection for a long time, although it's looked differently at, at different iterations. And I think with, with uh, StoryFit, what's interesting from a business perspective is that uh, an AI company is not a traditional software company, right? There's differences. And I can't say that I knew that going into it. I kept trying to follow kind of SaaS models and, and I was looking at building it and, and hitting certain target points. But, but, but AI is different because unlike a, like a platform with filters or um, algorithms, you, you can't achieve the predictable exact same level of consistency and accuracy and the coolest results require some interpretation. So this all kind of affects the product, but now that feeds into the sales. And I, I, early on, I just kept having this sense, which I couldn't articulate or define, that the, the sales feels, feels different. It doesn't feel like we're following all the, the typical best practices. And then when I was talking to other CEOs of AI companies in, in different verticals, they all said the same thing. It was the same sense and an, an extra loud sigh or stronger reactions of like, oh yeah, this is different. And my background, of course, is, is more in, in on, the, on the production development side. But these people who'd been in sales for years reinforced like, nope, this is a different animal. And so that's what I think is interesting to talk about is, okay, how is it different? And, and of course, this doesn't apply just to AI. It applies to new technology. And I think Probably there's a loop that anyone can hear tips and, and, and maybe recognize elements in their own sales cycles that are happening that are these same sure. elements. But I do think it's it's definitely true of AI and, and new technology that there are a few extra steps. Well, and I think what's interesting is, you know, someone hearing this might think, well, artificial intelligence isn't that new. People have been hearing about it for a while, but I think- the operative part of this phrase of introducing new technology to a market is the second half, which is the market, right? And, and specifically in the market that you serve, it is new. People are scratching their heads thinking, you mean to tell me I'm going to write a script and then a machine is going to tell me if it's good or not? Right. I know better than any stinking machine. Right. Right. And, you know, some, I mean, in a lot of, I mean, reasons, you know, they're, they're right sometimes. And that's what has to be really clear. And we've gotten, gotten better at how we talk about it. So we really, um, talk about delivering audience information. And this audience data is something that studios are, are quite familiar with. They're, they've been, been purchasing audience data um, always. Um, the difference is you don't have to wait till you produced the, the film or right. finished the series to put it up in front of an audience. The moment you have the script, we can deliver it ac accurate 
audience interpretations. And so we're, we're there to answer questions like, what are the character's strengths? You know, what's the audience going to think about this character? Uh, can this character carry a film or series? How is the story unique? What are some of the opportunities, but also the risks of this particular film? Um, what are comps? You know, who is the audience? Are there adjacent audiences? Um, what are the, the concepts and themes that we should elevate, you know, in our marketing campaigns or advertising campaigns. And so what we've learned too is this like, is it, you know, a thumbs up or thumbs down is not really useful. What's really useful and a great use of AI is this power underneath to say, you know, I, I know you were going for an original character, but your character measurably looks like, you know, 70% of the other characters or, mm -hmm. you know, we, you know, maybe we go back on a script and say, look, you've, you've, you've got this really strong set of characters, but you've cast minorities in the four weakest characters, you know, is that what you intended to do? And sure. so we're able to just kind of put up the mirror and say like measurably, here's some things that are happening. Um, and it's not about one of the things, and we can talk about this too more in the specific sales, it's not about um, creating the same, quote, best film or best series over and over again. It's about recognizing what you're trying to do and really doing it because we have measured, like we know you have to break a certain percentage of these rules to succeed. So there's a real incentive to say, what rule are you breaking? Are you intending to? Is this where you want to go with it? And how is that going to affect your potential audience? Or how, how is the audience going to receive this, this particular uh, uh, flip of the genre or, or um, fresh take on a character. So we really uh, work closely um, in, in, and deliver our information in creative language, not just straight AI data for that very reason. And I think, that, so I wanna, I wanna double back to something you said a little bit earlier in that, which is uh, like what I'm extracting here is you're, you're in this process of building trust, right? And one of the key elements of that to introduce this new technology is to make it relatable to what they are already doing. And you said up front, you said, well, they're already purchasing audience data, but they're just doing it after the fact. We're basically trying to say, what if you got the data beforehand so you didn't have to deal with you know post edits or rewrites or anything like that as much? And I think that's really key is if it's something that's new, how do you make it feel a little bit more, more familiar? Am I, am I on point with that kind of strategy and approach? A hundred percent, because it's that translation. And so I think the, that the, the three things that I noticed that have to be there for selling new technology or, or AI certainly is education, right? And so it's, to me, I had to slow down, don't talk about the product yet and first until you first give a little education and, and how does AI do this and, and really help the, the person to become comfortable because they understand the language. And then the trust building that you so rightly mentioned is there. And then, and then the third element is the one that I think is new and I've only recently been able to even articulate is I call it the, I understand, but they won't. And this is a very distinct hurdle that we mm. have to jump over as well. And I think now that I have a you know media psychologist on the team also, he's helped me to really understand there's there are theories and psychologies behind each of these elements that we can dress to be um, almost more comforting in the sales process, right? Sales is all about people connecting and understanding. And so that that has to happen in, in each of these steps. 
I want to dig into that more, the I understand, but they don't. Before we do that, I just want to take a quick moment here. Uh, all this season, we're featuring different companies in the Startup Hype Man client for portfolio. We're featuring the elevator pitches we've created for them using the Startup Hype Man Kepasa elevator pitch formula. Today, we are going to share Avana. They are an Australian-based company, a well-being platform. Uh, and it was actually, it was a real joy to work with them. They had this crazy scenario of having a bunch of different target audiences, like a bunch of different well, well-being practitioners. Um, and so we had to figure out how do we whittle that down so we don't have 19 different pitches, but we have a handful of pitches. And we did that by grouping them based on problem type. And so one of their target markets is chiropractors. And, and the elevator pitch we've developed, we developed for, for the chiropractors went along the lines of, hey, look, uh, you know, we're talking to chiropractors every day and they're telling us their schedule has one too many openings. Their website doesn't generate enough leads. It's kind of hard to stand out and they want a few more patients to feel better about their practice month to month. Well, Avana helps you fill the white space on your calendar. So you're able to use Avana to get new patients who can easily find and book your available time slots, which allows you to just focus on treating them. So we can focus on just getting them in your diary. And if you want to learn more about this, you can get started today at avana.com.au. Again, you can get started at avana.com.au. Today on the show, we've got Monica Landers, co-founder and CEO of StoryFit, and we're talking about introducing new technology to a market. So Monica, before the break there, you talked about this concept of the I understand it, but they won't. Um, talk us through that, and especially I just want to make sure everyone's clear, clear on who's representing the I and who's representing the they in this scenario. Ah, very true. Okay, I'll explain that and then I want to build to it a bit. So the I understand but they won't is sort of the response that we get to, to the customer. It's like from the customer. So imagine that we're just about to, we feel like we're ready to close the deal. They love us. We've proved it. We've done a POC. They're ready. And they're like, yeah, this is great. I mean, I get it. I value this, but, but they won't. And so um, I, I, and, that, and, and they means like the team. Well, they can mean a lot of things. Okay. And, okay. So that, and that is the, that is the thing that it took us a while to figure out. So I can, I can get to it quickly, but sure. so basically, so you start with the education, right? Is that, you know, will it take my job? So I won't go into the details because I think people can picture this, right? Will it take my job? I mean, the media that we're selling to, they literally created the fear around AI. Like they've made the uh -huh. movies that show robots taking over and uh -huh. that AI like ruining things, right? So this is who we're selling. That's to. very, very unique and peculiar. Very rarely is someone selling into an industry who demonized <laughs> the very thing that you're selling. <laughs> exactly. So I, I, we're always aware. So there's some education, you know, what, understanding the words, understanding what we're doing. So there, so there's that. And then there's the trust building, which, which you mentioned, and I like com just completely agree that there's a, there's a, there's a level and, and we, we have to do that through um, working through usually proving out um, that our AI delivers something that they already knew that they're like, yes, I knew that. And your AI said that good now show that it's actually helpful. So there's a couple of steps that we go through in, in building an internal trust, but let's just now assume that we have done a great job on all of these. And I, and I will just say on a personal level to get through all of these, I really had to take a deep breath early on because, you know, I think entrepreneurs and founders especially do this all the time. Like we've got this product. We love it. We know it works. We know it's great. And I just want to jump to the end and just say, yeah, yeah, just do a project with us. You're going to love it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I really learned to, to slow down and take the time to to let people walk through these, these phases, right? Um, 
And so the last one that I was calling, I understand, but they won't, it was really uh, a surprise because originally I just kind of bulked this into just one big group. Um, but, but there's a couple theories that, that explain it. One's called the spiral of silence and other is the third person effect. Um, and, and the way it works in real life is that, that people, you kind of win them over and they're like, yeah, I believe in this. This feels really good, but I don't think anybody else is. And I mean, it begs the question, right? Well, don't you think they're as smart as you and they'll see the benefits? And I'll just, you know, here's a spoiler, like that doesn't work. <laughs> don't say it. Just hold it on the inside because I've said it out loud before and it is not the, it is not the way to win them over. Um, so these theories that underlie it, and I think they're interesting because to me, it's like, this is human nature. This is what salespeople who are good, you know, revel in is really understanding the underlying human nature so they can address that. Uh, and this spiral of silence is a communication theory that was uh, proposed by a German political scientist. Her name is Elizabeth Noel Newman um, that explained this one element of Nazi Germany. Germany, which is why so many Germans who disagreed with the regime, they remained silent until the regime ended. And so ultimately huh. what it says is that an individual will fear social isolation for going against public opinion. And if only one side of public opinion is expressed, you know, AI is scary, we don't trust it, then first of all, that person has an incorrect understanding of the norm, but secondly, they're going to be naturally fearful to speak up. And so you can see how why it's called a spiral of silence is you can see how this spiral So no one says anything. So everyone thinks it's not a good idea. So therefore no one says anything. So therefore everyone thinks it's a bad idea. So this is this, uh, this spiral. And, and I think again, it doesn't, that doesn't solve it, but understanding it, you go, okay, there's a fear base. Like this is important, right? In sales. And then another part of this third person effect is this human belief that publicly held opinions have a greater effect on others than themselves. So in other words, this general belief that's out there, you know, I get it. I get you. I, I love you guys. I can only really see the use cases, but, but others might not. So, you know, that might be an individual or even harder. We love this technology, you know, that the team that you're selling to but we're afraid if our talent finds out or other clients or a third party, well, they're not going to like this. And so this is a huge thing to overcome because now you, you can't sell to those people. I would say often in our previous phase, in the trust phase, we might come in with a development team, maybe creative execs, and they say, oh, we like it, but we really, we got to run you through this technology. We don't, we don't really understand the technology, so we want the technology department to sign off. So we're given the opportunity then to kind of sell in and talk and show to this other team. Likewise, if we come in through the technology, um, they'll say, well, I mean, we think it's cool. We've been wanting to build this, but you're going to have to sell the creatives there, you know, which we can do because we're given the opportunity. But this last step is really hard because now it's the fear of sticking your neck out, going against what is the the believed um, common belief um, and presuming that you know what others will think. And we can't always get in front of that third batch. Um, and so that I, th I think is a real, a real challenge. Um, have I explained it in a way that, that even yeah. makes sense? This no, is definitely. Theory. Yeah. Okay. It, but it, I mean, I mean, you know, you're summarizing like deeply complex psychological exactly. phenomenon. So like, I'll give you a break there, but okay. I get, I get the point. Um, so can you talk through then 
how are you able to overcome that and how do you get them to 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 not only want to but then act upon socializing it internally well and i think that's where you know they ought to have um university majors for salespeople that include like everything from finance to psychology. Cause I think mm. it is, it, it just requires so much. Right. So the, the, the main ways that we see to solve this is first of all, like testimonials and PR, like, like break the, 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 the cycle, the spiral of silence, right. By mm -hmm. not having everyone be so silent. So get that information out there. And we're working on that. Although we are so heavily, uh, um, you know, under NDAs that, um, that is a challenge for us. Um, well, that's an important point because I think a lot of people listen to this are thinking like, oh, well, show them some credibility, show them who you've worked with. So they don't feel so alone in their decision. But as you were telling me before we started, before we went on air with this, you were like, I mean, maybe you could just explain that, that, that anecdote where, yeah. where you thought you had a testimonial. It, it, um, it, it's always something that we ask and, and, um, and usually, you know, groups are like, oh, well, maybe eventually, but, but it's that fear of having anyone else know about it. Right. So, um, and also they want to feel like they have the upper edge and, and, mm -hmm. and are, you know, so I, so I do understand it, but there was one, um, uh, studio that signed on and I had asked the general question about testimonials and I'm, and I thought that she had said, yes, I was like, this is fantastic news. You know, thank you. I was thanking her and saying, this really does help, you know, a startup and I really appreciate it. I'll get back with you on this. And um, she said, oh, no, no, you misunderstood. I said, we will never do that. <laughs> I thought, oh, oh, okay. Now that makes more sense, but how disappointing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like the average company is, is thinking, okay, I can just, again, I can show some case studies. I can show some logos of who we've worked with to improve our credibility, but you're in a unique situation where, your clients are saying, are signing, are making you sign NDAs where you're, you don't even have that in your back pocket to say, look who else we've worked with. You have, you could maybe at best say we've worked with others. Trust me, but they're all, they've all signed NDAs. So I, I can't tell you, which I would say also creates a secondary challenge that it's just going to make this person, next person say, well, I should have them sign an NDA too, even if they weren't originally thinking it. Oh yeah. Oh, believe me, everybody thinks of it, but yeah. Right? So. <laughs> well, but I feel like it's like, it's, it's its own spiral that gets created, right? That's another downward it, it, staircase or whatever it's called. It is. But uh, it leads so, perfectly. so how are you then overcoming this? Well, yeah, it leads perfectly because t time is the next solution. And I mean, that's not fun. That's not fun for any entrepreneur who's trying to, you know, raise money and, 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 and be um, a strong company, but time makes a difference. And, and we see people move between organizations we know that friends talk to friends. Um, we we have absolutely gained uh, customers when this happens, when a, a studio um, has a wave of layoffs and everyone goes to different studios. And well, next thing you know, we're in those studios. And so this happens. We're also aware when we're selling to one group that they used to work with this other group that we're selling to. And obviously we can't do anything to say it, but we are internally fingers crossed that they're talking to their old friends at the other studio. And, and, I, and I believe that happens. Um, I think going back to the trust though, it's really important that we don't blow the trust by, by saying anything to studios, sure. right? That doesn't help. So there's this very careful loop, but the, but, but time really does make a difference. And I think time will make a difference also on us being able to have um, more testimonials and, 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 and PR about it. Um, that's not a fun answer, but I think it's the truthful one. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the last, the way we're really actively well, solving sorry, it now. I want to, I want to yeah. just, Go ahead. I want to highlight something you said there because uh, sometimes it's a scenario where 
it takes a little while for the market to catch up. And then once the market catches up, it just like takes off from there. And they're like, oh, yes. And, and I think an, an, like a very obvious example we could point to last year. Um, I mean, how, how many restaurants were hesitant to have like Uber Eats or DoorDash or Postmates be their delivery courier? And then all of a sudden the market caught up and they had to. They were like, oh crap, we need something. We don't have the, 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 the technology internally to do this ourselves. We can't take you know, phone orders forever. And then the market caught up. And I mean, for a lot, for a lot of those companies, the, all those delivery companies, the sale, they're, they didn't even have to sell anymore. They were just getting the inbound demand because the market realized and they just had to literally install for them. But there was that slow build to get there. So your point on time, I, think is, I don't want to, I don't want anyone to overlook that. And it's not to say you don't try in the meantime, but there's ultimately, I mean, ideally a point where the market tips in your favor. And I mean, I think entrepreneurs need to be honest with themselves that that's the case too. And frankly, you're going to have to raise money for that. You're going to have to raise money for here are my plans and I'm going to keep working, but it's going to take this long. You know, it's going to take a year before any of this happens because of this reason. And you're going to have to fund for it because you don't want your company to die with a great product just because you didn't give it the extra six months, frankly, that some of these conversations might take for a new technology or, you know, new education, new trust building, you know, Mm. new, new, you know, PR on this new product. So um, time is like always the most or the least fun to to have as a solution, but right. like you said. And, you, and, and you're about to go into the next uh, portion as well. So I want to make sure I, I don't forget about that. Oh, well, I think this is how we're we're solving um, this a little bit more proactively because the other two are, are a little bit harder to make happen. They either happen or they don't. Um, and, and for us, and again, this goes back to it being an AI company, the right data scientists and the right team uh, around it is is really important. So while we want to talk in a way that's comfortable for our um, our customers and potential customers, we are an AI company, and so we we have to make sure that we're um, building and communicating in a way that is going to make sense for this particular industry. So it matters that we have the right data scientists to work with creative teams. Um, you know, we we as I mentioned earlier, we're a creative create a forward team. Um, but this is like, this is a different group than you would hire to optimize pricing. Like these are not the same data scientists. And I think AI becomes this broad phrase that, that, that people use without realizing that even if their titles aren't there, there's some really specific uh, types uh, of, of people. I mean, so that's why our data scientists are NLP experts and we have computational social scientists as well to combine all these efforts so that we can really, um, can really be smart at this nexus of the creativity and, and managerial and, and, and um, deliver uh, something that's useful for this industry. I want to, I just got one more question here before we begin our wrap up. Um, we've talked about this through the lens of the sales side in introducing a new technology to a market. Um, are you doing anything on the content on the marketing side to help create this, you know, help make it more of a standard, right? To help get it into the, the, the mainstream conversation within your industry. 
Um, we need to be doing more. Uh, and so I, I think that's that's on our agenda for the year. And we've really been more product focused. And I, I think a lot of companies do this ebb and flow between the two. But it is absolutely time for us, uh, you know, to up our game on that. And that's why you and I know each other now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's begin our wrap up. First off, where can our listeners uh, find you? Where can they find StoryFit? Where can they learn more? Oh, yeah, we're storyfit.com. I think there's a nice set of, of videos, storyfit.com slash videos, which give a nice explanation, kind of a friendly explanation of what we do. Great. And um, who is one person who you want to shout out? Could be a colleague, co-founder, mentor, friend. I know you can't shout out a customer. <laughs> I know, that, that was my first thought. Um, you know, it, I am so, like when I even think of that, I'm just almost overwhelmed with gratefulness for all of the mentorship and support that I have, but also for the team. And I, I like, I just don't even want to single out one person on the team because I think I've talked to, well, I know I've talked to every single person today over one thing or another. Um, we have this fluid team that jumps in whenever needed. And it is, uh, you know, I, I think that's what I, I value and want to shout out a, a, the most is that we have amazing individuals, but really we are a team and I'm, I'm just thankful for that every day. Well, for the purpose of being able to tag someone online when this episode <laughs> goes live uh, and knowing, and we would say it's this person and the team. Who would you like? Who would you like to, to be do that it. person? I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stand strong in this moment. <laughs> All right, we'll just throw up a logo then. We'll say the story there. We go logo. Team. Yeah. Or if you have a photo of your team, we'll put that. I do. I have a. Fun, okay. I have some fun photos of the team, so I'll send you something <laughs> like that. <laughs> let's um, let's do our final uh, lessons, takeaways, our parting shots from today's episode, which was uh, introducing new technology to a market. I'll go first, and I'll toss it over to you. Uh, my big takeaway from this conversation on introducing new technology to a market is that you really have to transition from thinking of yourself uh, as a salesperson or as a seller and transition more towards thinking of yourself as an educator, um, almost have a more like scholarly approach to it because um, the market needs to be educated for one. But then I think also that's going to help you better respect like their timeline and also just, you know, not feel like so over anxious with people who need a little bit more like protection and need, need a little bit more time to figure their stuff out. Monica, what are your parting shots from today? Yeah, I think, I think that's it. And, and adding to that is that there are basic human elements and human drives that even those people might not be able to define. And I think it's important if, if we can realize that they're there, then we can address it. And some of this fear of, of socializing new ideas is real. And if we can find a way to address it and support the people so that they'll go out on a limb for you internally, then that's what we have to do. My final question, which is how we end every episode of this show, fill in the blank, Monica. Entrepreneurship is blank. I'd say jumping out of an airplane with a parachute, but still jumping out of an airplane. <laughs> say a little bit more on that. Jumping out of an airplane with a parachute. Why, why do you say that? I think it's scary, and but you can't take a little step. Like entrepreneurship is not about taking one tiny step. It's about taking a big leap. You should have your... Um, your act together and ha be wearing that parachute. You know, you have your your mentors and your team and your plans and your spreadsheets, but you you know don't bother if you're not going to take a big jump. 
entrepreneurship is jumping out of an airplane with a parachute. She is Monica Landers, CEO of StoryFit. Monica, thank you so much for joining today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Next week when we come at you, we're going to come at you with our season finale. So make sure you're subscribed so you catch that. And we will see you next time. Hype Man out, word up, raise up. That wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guests for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.